Welcome to the Aquarimax Audio Show with Russ and Kim. We provide information on all kinds of aquarium-related topics. Okay, well this is the, the Back from the Dead episode, so to speak. I know it's been a long time since we've had an episode out, and that was uh, th- that's due to a lot of factors. I won't get into all of them. But I would like to welcome you all back, and hopefully we still have people listening. Uh, one thing I would like to ask is that just, you know, the changing faces of podcasts and everything, podcasts seem to be coming, seem to be losing popularity. And because of that, um, we have not been getting, um, and maybe for other reasons too, we haven't been getting as many submissions to the podcast as we used to. We are getting some, but not nearly as many. And so, one thing I'd like to ask is that if you do listen, please just let us know that you do. That would be great just to know. Um, I, I want to see, you know, how many people are listening. You can um, just send us a direct email or uh, info at aquarimax.com. You can go to the Facebook page, just Aquarimax. Um, that one doesn't work quite as well because I'm not very good at checking it. But I will see it if it comes to the email. Uh, you can... You know, whatever works so that you can contact us. That would be great. Um, if you do have comments and questions, we, we do want to keep uh, the show going, but we need more comments and questions to, to keep it rolling kind of kind of thing. Um, today we do have a, a submission from Matt in Perth, Western Australia, and we're grateful for that, so thank you, Matt. Um, and we also have some other things I'd like to share. One is, uh, these are some things that I've been working on lately. Uh, one is that I switched my multis, my shell-dwelling cichlids, switched them into my 29-gallon tank and put the julitochromus back in that, in a, put them not back in that tank, but put them in a 20-gallon. Sorry, I switched the two out. And that seems to be going really well. The julitochromus really hugged the rock work, and so they weren't really using all the space in the 29, and the multis are spreading out into little territories, and so they are using it. Um, they're also using the water column quite a bit. It looks like, from what I've been able to tell, maybe I've talked about this before, but from viewing multis in the wild, in videos from multis in the wild and, and in large tanks, uh, they have quite a few multis down in the shells breeding, but then they have other groups of them that are up in the water column. So that seems to be natural. And that's kind of what we're getting is the multi-population increases. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, you can check that out on a, my YouTube video if you want to. Um, it's called um, Tank Switch, I think is what I called it. And uh, that's several weeks ago, and that seemed to work out fairly well. Another is that I've been working on... I've been working on supercharging my filtration. And uh, let me tell you some background on that. Well, if you are familiar with uh, Aquarium Co-op, Cory of Aquarium Co-Rock, uh, Co-op does... Uh, YouTube videos. He runs a retail store in Washington State. He also um, sells uh, fertilizers and supplies. He doesn't sell live fish online, but he's, he sells uh, a fertilizer that they produce in-house and, and so things like that for aquariums. He's uh, got a lot of great ideas and he's been running this store successfully so sometime. He also does YouTube videos, has pretty big following on YouTube and also a podcast which consists of his live streams uh, 
that he does on his YouTube channel, and then he posts them as uh, podcasts, they work fine as audio because, um, in general, there's not a whole lot going on that's visually, you know, ne- necessary during the live stream. He's responding to comments and questions from uh, viewers, so it works out fine. And that we're hoping to go to a similar model at some time. You know, we're trying to transition that way so that um, our podcasts are also live streams on YouTube, but um, there's nothing that's visually necessary in them that would detract from listening to it on the, the podcast. So. We're working towards that model too. This particular episode is not like that, but uh, we've done one or two in the past that way, and we hope to kind of do that, kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. Anyway, he had a video on uh, kind of hot-rodding your filters is one of the terms that he used to refer to it. You're optimizing filtration. And so you can check that video out on his channel, Aquarium Co-op. But I have long been a DIYer when it comes to filtration uh, media. Uh, I am not a big fan of going and buying the cartridges and then going and buying more cartridges and just continuing to do that. I know that from a standpoint of the uh, the stores and the companies that make the, the filters and the filter cartridges, that's what they want us to do. But there are several reasons I don't like it. And one is that I don't like, um, don't necessarily want to use the media that they provide because of the quality or the type of media. For example, I don't necessarily want to use activated carbon unless I have a specific reason for using it. And most of the the cartridges you buy contain it. I also think they don't, the media is not very efficient necessarily at getting waste out. It's good at, at first it's great, and it but it clogs up really fast and then it's harder to keep clean. And it's just expensive, that's the main thing. I might overlook those other things if it weren't for the expense of replacing so many filter cartridges. So for years, I've been modifying my own uh, filtration media. And one thing that I've done is I've purchased uh, filter, not filter floss, what do you call it? Um, Quilt batting, polyester quilt batting at a fabric store. And then just cut it up and done various things to make it you know, work in the in the filter cartridges you know I'll, I'll rip off the old uh, the floss that comes with it or the pad and dump out all the uh, carbon and then just pack it with um, the uh, quilt batting and then use that and and I've been doing that kind of thing for years but um, Corey in his video showed that, that some really cool things one of them is that on uh, a bio wheel 350 I happen to have one of those and a BioWheel 200, which is basically half of a BioWheel 350 in that um, the filter chamber, a BioWheel 200 has one chamber, a BioWheel 350 has two chambers, but the chambers are the same sizes. And he showed that you can take an AquaClear sponge, and I've used those for years too. Um, I have an AquaClear filter in my goldfish tank that I've had for about like, over 10 years, I guess now. And one of the original sponges is still in there from that, that period of time. And I think the other sponge I have in there, I didn't get too much too long afterwards. And I've just been reusing them, and that's great. In the AquaClear, they're one of the exceptions where the medium that they provide is actually durable and reusable and so on. Anyway, he found you can take those sponges from an AquaClear 70 and just shove it into a BioWheel 350 or a BioWheel 200, and it fits. Awesome. So recently I did that on my multi-tank and it works great. And then, you know, I've also used pre-filter sponges on in-tanks 
of my filters. I, I, you know, started doing that years ago. I've done it off and on various tanks, but he showed that, um, you know, you put that on and then you put the sponge filters in or you put the sponges from the AquaClear into your filter and you've got a really supercharged filter with a lot of, uh, a lot of surface area, of course, for bacteria. Too bad Kelly's not here today. Um, or she could see the, sing the surface area song. But anyway, uh, so that's what I did on my multi-tank, and I'm looking at doing it on some of my other tanks. Really liking that because those sponges last forever, the AquaClear sponges. And the sponge that I put on the in-tank was a pond filter sponge, and it's huge, and I ended up cutting it and um, putting one piece that I cut off into the intake part because that's still open. It's got, you know, it's got a tube right through it. It's like a long donut shape. You know, it's got a hollow uh, tube down the middle so you can put it over the, the intake, but then there's no way to close off that end. And so most of the water is going to be going through that end and you can still have, you know, baby fish or sand particles or whatever go up there. And so now with the sponge stuck in the end, that's not going to happen. Um, so I'm really excited about that, that it seems to be working well. I lost a filter to sand particles not, not long ago at all, and I'm happy that this is one way that I can prevent that from happening again. Even though I knew that that was a danger, and I was guarding against it, and I had, in fact, ordered the sponges and had them sitting in my pet room waiting to put them on this filter, and I heard the dreaded noise of uh, particles being caught in the impeller and damaging it, and so that... Uh, impeller at least is damaged so I didn't have time to uh, order an impeller and wait for it and I realized that going to the pet store and buying an entire new filter was cheaper than ordering you know an express uh, new impeller just with the shipping charges it was cheaper for me to just go to the store and get a new filter so I did and I'll probably go ahead and order uh, an impeller for the old filter so that I have that It'll still work just fine, but I don't have to worry about the time frame. Thing being that uh, I didn't have enough filtration on that tank. I was just running a small spare filter on it temporarily, and I knew I was going to have problems if I kept doing that for more than you know 24 hours. So I wanted to get the filter working again. Just transferred the bio wheel, uh, one of the bio wheels from the old filter to the new one, and good to go. Um, I would have transferred both of them, but one of the bio wheels was kind of uh, gimpy, wasn't working very well. So anyway. Um, it's working great. It looks great. And I think I may transfer eventually all of my filters over to all of my filters. that will fit over to just the aqua clears and the pre filter sponge um, model because it's so nice. Another project I've been working on is the combo culture. I've done combo cultures before. And what I mean is this is for live food. I now have a 20 gallon tank that is completely dedicated to raising Daphnia, amphipods, ram's horn snails, seed shrimp and copepods and i may actually add some other uh, organisms i'm thinking about adding um, microfex or detritus worms too because basically in one tank you're raising all these different live foods and it, there's no extra work if i were raising all of those live foods separately in different tanks it would be a, a lot of work to, to maintain them and a lot of space but basically when you raise amphipods and daphne together which i have done um, for quite a while in the past um, they do great and there's no extra work basically except for the fact that you have to feed them separately to some extent um, not entirely because whatever the amphipods as they're eating um, the things that they they like to eat off of 
you know, you drop uh, bits of veggies like sweet potatoes or zucchini to the bottom or algae pellets or other aquarium uh, fish food pellets, that kind of thing. They will eat those off the bottom. They're not really filter feeders. But as they do eat it, um, you know, infusoria is created from the small particles that they release and the Daphne eat the infusoria, things like that. But you should also add um, fine particulate food for the Daphnia, but the larger particles that sink to the bottom, the amphipods eat. So it works great and it's no extra work. So I recently bought some amphipods to replace the ones that I lost when we moved and that culture is going great. I put some pink ram's horn snails that I got from uh, a trade that I did a while ago with another aquarist, put those in. And then just naturally in the cultures, uh, the seed shrimp and the uh, copepods have been in there. And now the culture is really starting to boom. It's really nice to see. And I can just net it out and feed to my Multis or my Julitochromis, my goldfish go for the Daphnia too. Um, and in fact, uh, my daughter's axolotl a lot likes the amphipods or the um, Daphnia and probably would like the amphipods too. So I'm going to try that as well. Uh, one thing that I am excited to see is how this works in a 20 gallon tank because I've done it in a 10 gallon tank before and it worked great. But uh, a 20 gallon tank could just be bigger and so I'm likely to get better yields and so on so and so far the Daphnia have doubled in population in the last few days which is normal I'm also going to put my uh, my drain on there so I'll basically have Daphnia on tap um, I haven't done that yet but I was just getting you know making sure the system was working first and it is uh, I was able to keep the tank cycled by transferring I had this same culture going in a 4.5 approximately gallon tank and it was working fine but not producing nearly as much um, I just needed to wait to move some things around I sold some plants and things like that so I could m repurpose the tank for the combo culture and now it's working great um, I'm just we'll see how it goes with all of all, with such a big big tank and also with the light that I've got on it right now I'm not sure if I'm going to keep that light on it now in theory the Daphnia should be preventing any unicellular algae from gaining a foothold because they eat it and the amphipods should keep any uh, like a filamentous style algae from growing because they eat that so I'm hoping that the light that I've got on there is good because it, it gives great visibility to the tank lets me hunt down Daphne or individual amphipods if I want to or whatever um, but we'll see how that goes I may just have to um, decrease the light, but hopefully I, I do not. Oh, the ram's horns will also keep algae from growing on the glass. The idea is that they, all three of those types of algae may be growing suspended uh, unicellular algae, and like a coating algae that grows on the glass, and then filamentous algae may all be growing, but they're all just keeping it at bay and undetectable, essentially. So, see how that goes. Um... Let's go to Matt in Perth, Western Australia. I do apologize that uh, Kelly's not here today, but um, she'll be back in the future. It's just things have been crazy this summer with a lot of things going on, and she is out with a couple of kids, taking one kid to work, taking other kids school shopping, all kinds of things. So um, we'll see how that goes. But I have the day off and um, decided to just make sure we get a podcast out because it's been a long time. So Matt in Perth in Western Australia says... I have not been contacting you guys for quite a while for one obvious reason. On Saturday, the 25th of February at 4.30pm, my 34-year-old disabled brother died from a cerebral hemorrhage. I'm really sorry to hear that. I, I've already responded to Matt in an email expressing my condolences. I think that's, that's a, a very sad thing and we're sorry for your loss. 
He was in hospital, as he had been acting strangely the day before, but we did not expect something this severe to result from it. Early that week, he was fine. The one thing you get asked a lot after a loved one dies, is there anything I can do? If you want to help with regards to my brother, talk about the sudden death of family member, friend, or pet. And that is, that's really useful to know because it is hard to know what people, you know, want to hear. You always want to, to be able to say something, but it's, it's, it's difficult to know what to say. So I appreciate uh, that giving some, some ideas of what people can say really helps. Growing up with a disabled brother, I always felt angry when people in school would call each other retards. Oh, I can definitely understand that. That is a really unkind term to use. I work in the medical records field for American and Australian companies. I still find it horrific that American doctors I write for in their, well, let's see, called people like my brother retards. Yeah, and that that's surprising to me because um, I, I don't know any doctors who would do that, but I guess there are some. Um, it's strange that they would do that. People like my brother were always so much more fragile than people without disabilities. I know this is not fish-related, but I feel there's some sense of community in this podcast and something like this should be shared. Well, I, I appreciate that, Matt. I think um, we do have a community. I want to keep it going. And I, I think that's appropriate. It's something that you can, you know, I don't think people should use that term either. And I think um, spreading awareness of that is, is a good thing. So in happier news, Matt continues, the Texas cichlids in my 650-liter aquarium have been breeding. Sadly, the babies do not last long as other fish eat them. I am tempted to separate the pair so that they can raise their young in peace. However, that does mean buying more tanks and more maintenance. I have attached some blurry photos of the babies. I have also attached a photo of Daisy, our new yellow tang. Yellow tangs are my favorite marine fish and I am ecstatic to own one finally. Well, that is happy news. Um, at any fish breeding is just a lot of fun, and it is hard in a situation like this. You know, you got to figure out whether or not you can um, allow them to continue to reproduce or not. But when you have to, you know, change things, and uh, which, as you mentioned, includes more maintenance. That is one reason that I have gone to. You know, right now the only fish I'm actively breeding, unless the Julitochromas decide to breed are the multis because um, they can breed in a colony and I don't have to worry about it. Um, I can, the tank they're now in can increase to, you know, they could easily have three, four, five times the population they have in there right now and be fine. And as soon as I have a surplus of fish, it won't be difficult for me to find homes for them. So that's part of the reason I've done that. Uh, I, I don't, it's a colony breeding situation that requires very little maintenance. And I've checked out the photo of Daisy. That is very cool. I remember the first time I saw uh, yellow tangs in Hawaii when I was snorkeling. Uh, they're fairly common in Hawaii. It's one of the few places that they're extremely common on the reefs and so on. Although in many of my favorite dive sites, they were not very common. But I found one where they were, and it was fun to see them. Um, they're they're really kind of cool fish. I like them. I've like all kinds of tangs, but they're, the yellow ones are fun. As for the planted aquarium, it kept being overwhelmed by a nasty algae infection. I would clean the tank on Monday and remove as much of the algae as I could. All that algae would have regrown by the following Sunday. The local fish shop suggested we chlorinate the aquarium in a manner that would not harm the fish. We removed all the plants and fish. Plants went into the pond and have flourished in that environment. 
The algae cannot survive in cold water, but it turns out that the plants can. The fish lived in a spare 60-liter aquarium. The fish shop recommended we use a low do dose. We use a low dose of pool chlorine. This is the purest form of chlorine. For 24 hours, our living room smelled like a pool. The algae turned a beautiful white color as it died. After that, we put the correct amount of dechlorinator in the aquarium. This neutralized all the chlorine. We then emptied the aquarium and filled it back up again, leaving it for another 24 hours. The process was repeated twice. This way, it was safe to use chlorine to kill the invasive algae infection. The aquarium was then cycled, and good bacteria was introduced from the 650 liters filter and from commercial bacteria products. You know, I did something similar. It was quite a few years ago. I had uh, one or two tanks that were infested with this awful, I think it was black beard algae, but I wasn't sure. And this was well before podcasts. This was, you know, back in the days when the internet mm, sort of existed, but it was in its infancy. And I was at my wit's end with this algae, and I didn't understand a few things that I understand now um, that would have helped me, you know, get rid of the algae uh, in different ways. But I decided to just use bleach. I used household bleach, and I bleached everything in the tank. Of course, I took the fish out and everything, moved them around, and took the fil filters out, and very similar to what you did. And I used chlorine bleach, killed the algae, and um, rinsed the tank out super well and dechlorinated and everything, and then introduced everything back in with the cycled filters and all that. And it was fine. It worked out. So, yeah, it's it was a last-ditch effort, but sometimes that's what you got to do, and it did work, so... There you go. So, Matt continues. That was about four months ago. However, new plants we added have not been growing. A different algae species is growing and covering the plants. This is a much nicer alga compared to the old one, and I think we can control it. We already have ideal light lighting, so do we need to set up a constant CO2 bubbler to keep the algae in control? What are the basics that you guys have noticed is necessary for quality plant growth? Should I just be rereading Ecology of the Planted Aquarium again? Well, that is a great question, and I think CO2 could certainly help, since, like you said, you already have ideal lighting. Um, with the CO2, you could have the higher plants um, out competing the algae more effectively, so that could be a good way to go. Um, it may not be necessary. It also sounds like it could be an imbalance of nutrients. Algae is so much better at... Um, taking advantage of nutrients when they are imbalanced. But if, if you're able to provide balanced nutrients to the plants, they may be, they may be able to take over and uh, then they'll sequester all the nutrients the algae are now using from the water before the algae gets a chance, but they need to have a more of a balance of nutrients to get that to work. But I've found that CO2 helps me if I want to grow plants with ideal lighting, that um, CO2 makes it almost too easy. It, it just becomes a lot more, I mean, you'd still have to fertilize um, more than you would because the plants are growing at a faster rate and they can deplete nutrients and then algae can go nuts anyway. But the yeah, CO2 could be a good way to go. Um, and I'm, I'm betting that reading Ecology of the Planet Aquarium again could be a great refresher and help you think about some of those things. But um, I wouldn't necessarily be hesitant to, to go with CO2. I've really enjoyed growing things... For example, um, when I've done CO2, there are a ton, ton of plants that do really, really well for me. And then those same plants, even though they're supposed to be easy, don't necessarily do as well when I don't have CO2. And it, it depends a lot on the different setups. For example, 
I first started growing java fern when I did not have CO2. And they did really well. The plants did really well. I had a, I think it was a 20-gallon tank. It might have been a 10, I don't remember. But I had fair high fish load in there. But the, the java moss, or java fern, actually, java fern and java moss, both did really, really well. They grew like crazy. Happy plants. I was happy. And then later, I went to Sweo 2 and the java fern and java moss grew much faster and did even better for me. And I was selling, you know, chunks of moss and chunks of java fern and everything. Um, did really super well. And then, um, since then, when I haven't, I haven't done CO2 for a few years now. And I've, any plants that I've had have been really low-tech plants like Anubias and so on. Whenever I try to grow java moss since then, even though I have successfully grown it without CO2 and with CO2, um, with with great success. Ever since then, when I've tried to put it in my tanks, it hasn't done that well. So um, I think that might be a good direction to go. And also, um, it depends partly on what plants you have in there. Do you have a lot of stem plants that are going to be nutrient sponges in there? Um, that that could have something to do with it as well. So one last thing Matt wants to talk about is forum etiquette. He says. I did mention my algae issue on a Facebook group called West Australian Planted Aquarium Enthusiasts. The only person to respond started with, Chlorine? Are you kidding? That implies that it was a ridiculous decision to use chlorine, and that I had no idea what I was doing. His attitude did not change throughout our discussions. I feel the ability to respectfully disagree or learn more about someone else's opinion should be taught in primary school. Yeah, it should, certainly should be taught somewhere. Here's an example of how to get the same point across in an interesting, uh, in a polite manner. I did not know that you could safely use chlorine to treat an algae infestation. That is interesting. Please tell me how you did it. I like that too. I think that's a much more tactful way of putting it. Have you been guilty of not handling someone else's aquatics beliefs with respect before? How do you approach probing into something that at first appears to be wrong? Well, uh, this, is, this is a great point. I, I want to bring out two things uh, in response to this. One is, I think that forums, Facebook... You know, anything, any kind of communication that's not face-to-face -face can inherently um, change the nature of communication in that responding to someone in maybe a, a rude manner like this person responded to you on the, the Facebook group is easier because we don't pick up on cues. Um, you know, if someone says something rude to my face or starts to say something rude to my face, and they see an expression on my face of discomfort or, you know, rage or whatever they see, they're likely to start to back off. Okay? If they, if they see that they're making me uncomfortable, they're, they're likely to back off. And we have a more, you know, we can start negotiating the message meaning very quickly. Uh, I might say something like, oh, hold on just a second. And then the other person will realize, oh, I've gone too far. I need to back up a couple of steps and we need to, you know... Um, I need to repair. I, the, this conversation is breaking down. I made a mistake. I need to repair it. Okay, that kind of thing um, happens. When you're on a Facebook group, and I know Kelly has had uh, bad experiences with this on occasion, um, where someone will say something and then not realize that what they're saying has been inflammatory or has been you know, rude or whatever, and so they'll keep going. And much further than they would go in an actual face-to-face -face conversation. 
So that's an issue that I think a lot of people haven't even noticed. They don't really realize that they're much more willing to say things they would not necessarily say to someone's face and to the point of being offensive. But it's kind of like driving too. You know, people will say things when they see someone driving that they wouldn't necessarily say to that person's face. Uh, so that happens. And it shouldn't. I, I think it's, it's a bad thing about um, internet communication that um, people will, will go to those extremes and, and be impolite. So I agree. I think you should be a lot more polite, as you said. Um, I think your method of, um, you know, expressing some surprise or even disbelief at the situation in a polite way was, was much better. Um, I've noticed on YouTube, I get a lot of comments on my YouTube channel, and some of my YouTube uh, comments are not terribly polite. Um, <laughs> and I find that when I reply with extreme politeness, that a lot of times the people will back up. And they will realize, um, I don't know what it is about it, but um, I can think of several specific cases where I have responded with extreme politeness, just trying to be very, very tactful in my responses. And they will say, oh, oh, you know, I'm sorry I said that. And, and I see your point. Uh, there was one, for example, where I posted a video about my goldfish. And the goldfish were um, in a tank that was too small. And I was managing it with uh, high filtration, over filtration, and with uh, very uh, large water changes. And I mentioned in the video, this tank is too small. I won't be able to keep the goldfish in here forever. And I recognized that and talked about my filtration and so on. And somebody just posted what they had heard before. You know, um, this, this tank is too small. You, you can't keep your fish in this tank. And if you look at the goldfish, they're healthy. They're doing well. Um, and I do mention that I need a larger tank and that I plan on getting a larger tank in, in the video. And this person said, you know, um, this tank is too small. You're gonna, your goldfish are going to suffer. I, I don't remember the exact words, but they said it in a pretty rude way. And I just responded by saying, you know, um, as, as you may have noticed in the video, I, I do plan on getting a larger tank. You're right. I need one. Agreeing that I need a larger tank. I said, something like that. You're definitely right. I need a larger tank. And as you may have heard in the video, I do plan on getting one in the future. Just, just politely. And then the person said, oh, you know, I'm sorry for the hate. I, I, I think you do have a nice looking tank and your, your fish look good and whatever, that kind of thing. Or another, I was posting a, a video about a gecko and someone said, oh, that, that uh, vivarium's disgusting. And because it was, you know, I'm, I'm not sure why they said that, because I don't think it was disgusting. It was clean. Um, it was of an appropriate size for the gecko and all these things. But it wasn't like a naturalistic vivarium. It was, it was a very basic vivarium. And, and when they used the word disgusting, I responded, and I'm saying, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, something like that. And, you know, this kind of gecko, if you put it in a much bigger tank, you can use a slightly bigger tank, but too much bigger. And the gecko often has problems keeping warm and, you know, thermoregulating because it can't find the places it needs or it might have problems with food or whatever. I said something like that. And then the person responded politely and we were able to, you know, improve the conversation. And I did, in fact, later move that gecko to a, a larger tank in a naturalistic setup. But uh, sometimes just responding very politely is enough uh, to make the person realize they have been rude. Not always, but that has been the, the tactic that I have taken and it seems to help. But I do think people should always think about this. Uh, would I say that to a person's face? 
Uh, and if if so, would that be a nice thing to do? And then if that's not the case, maybe they should re- rethink how they're going to say it. And so I do appreciate that, Matt, very much. Uh, I think that's a very good point. And Matt says, finally, it was podcasts like yours that first made me laugh as my brother died. Your podcast pro- provides a sense of community and fun. Please keep it up. And I can tell you, Matt, that means a lot to me. And I, I let Kelly see this as well. And it's really, it's really good to hear that we were able to do something to help. I mean, it may not be much, but anything that we could do to help um, restore some, some laughter to your life, that is, it's, it's all worth it if we can do that for one person. That, that's worth it. So I think that's about all we have for this week. Um, I would ask that anyone who's listening to the podcast, please chime in in whatever way that you feel is appropriate. We really want to keep the podcast going, but we need to have um, you know content to do that. And we're hoping that if we get enough content, we will start doing live streams that don't depend on any um, visual you know um, component for the that we can use for the podcast. So we will um, address anything that you've sent in prior to that live stream. We will take pre- that will take precedence. We'll give that priority and um, address those comments first, and then we will allow the live comments to pop up and talk. To, um, address those for the rest of the the podcast. So that's kind of the model we're hoping to do. But we do depend on your um, comments to make that work. So thank you all for joining us, and may the fish be with you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Aquarimax Audio. For additional episodes, please visit Aquarimax.com. To leave comments or questions that could be featured on an upcoming podcast, leave a message at 801-477-0629 or email us at info at Aquarimax.com.